Hello and welcome to Integrating Chinese Medicine with the Dow Health. I'm Elizabeth Cullen. And I'm Georgia Fong. And we are traditional Chinese medicine practitioners and acupuncturists. We are your hosts, providing an educational platform for practical ways to integrate Eastern medicine into your Western lifestyle. Throughout this podcast series, we will be discussing the benefits of getting to know our bodies in a practical sense and how to be an advocate for your own health. Welcome to episode 11. So you are ready to have a baby. Now what? Part one. Just before we begin today, I would like to let you know of a disclaimer. So all information in the podcast, Integrating Chinese Medicine with the Dow Health, is for educational purposes and was relevant at the time of recording. We recommend for any individual symptoms, personalised diagnosis and treatment to see a registered health practitioner. So today in part one, we will unpack the pressure of conception that women and their partners can put on themselves. What is the meaning of preconception care? Understanding a woman's cycle and the likelihood of conception each month and miscarriage, frequency and where women can get support. During our next episode in part two, we will discuss TCM perspective on reproductive health and our role as TCM practitioners. So how long is a normal period of time to actively try before you should seek further investigation? Is it too early or too late for preconception care? And we will also discuss supplementation, a one-size-fits-all approach. So we thought we'd set the scene uh, with a lovely quote from Hung O, Emily Grieven and Marissa Belger from the beautiful book Awakening Fertility. The desire to become a mother and father can manifest in many ways. It might bubble up out of the blue and surprise you, or it might pulse enduringly, like an ache that is never not felt. Whatever form it takes, the moment you feel this call towards childbearing, a doorway opens, leading you to a path that will take you from one version of yourself to the other. It is a path of becoming. We're going to start with unpacking the pressure of conception that we regularly see in the clinic that women and their partners can put on themselves. I think it's a really important note to let you know that conception is a biological experiment rather than a chemical experiment. And the message we want to convey today in reducing the over-medicalized paradigm that the journey of actively beginning to conceiving has now become. So Georgia, how has pregnancy become more chemical? So we see this so often in the clinic, right? So ovulation predictor kit testing, blood tests, all the apps that are out there and LH surge testing. Yes. Yes. So I think sometimes we do see that patients forget to trust their bodies. Yeah. And it become and it can become overwhelming and too stressful. For it them. can. It can. So we do understand that with certain underlying conditions that women and their partners are experiencing, this does impact the conception journey. And this is where reproductive medicine plays a very useful and significant role. We commonly see in clinic the pressure a woman can put on herself coming straight off the oral contraceptive pill for 10 years, for example, and wanting to conceive in the first month while waiting for her natural cycle to return. Yes. Right? (laughs) So today we want to talk about realistic expectations for women and, and males, both physically and mentally. 
We want to plant a seed to begin with today and move away for the, from the concept of using the words actively trying to conceive to being open to conceiving and planning to conceive. By moving away from the words associated with effort, this can already begin to take away the pressure that is unnecessary with conceiving. So Liz, what factors need to be addressed? So a number of factors need to be addressed prior to openly wanting to conceive. <laughs> um, so I think number one is, are you on the oral contraceptive pill or have you been for a number of years or are you on any other contraceptives, including the IUD, the rod, or have you been using condoms as a contraception? This is where we would discuss the hypothalamic ovarian axis and how is your body connected reproductively to your hormones? So have you been using your own hormones or have you been using a synthetic form of contraception? Number two would be, do you have a period? Is your cycle regular and are you ovulating regularly? Are you and your partner physically able to have penetrative sex is the next one, or is there an underlying cause such as vaginismus or erectile dysfunction that also needs to be addressed? Number four is, has there been a previous existing condition that will impact your ability to fall pregnant, including previous STDs, endometriosis, adenomyosis, fibroids, PCOS, thyroid conditions, as well as autoimmune? And number five is, what is your age? So unfortunately, it is something that we do need to consider with age. Um, in reality, as a woman ages, her chances of falling pregnant each month begin to decline due to her egg reserve. So a fun fact is that we have the most amount of eggs we will ever have at 24 weeks in utero. So a woman is born with all the eggs she'll ever have, which at birth is typically around 1 million. By puberty, she already has half that. And each month after puberty, she loses up to a thousand eggs. Of those, only one egg is matured and ovulated each month. This is an interesting insight to our bodies that we begin to lose eggs before we even are at childbearing age. Just crazy. It's wild. Absolutely wild. There's <laughs> so much pressure I on know, the eggs. I know. And as much as we don't want to raise the topic, as we were saying before, of the societal pressures of the fertility clock, it is something that is important to consider with the timing of starting a family, as this may change considering how many children you would like to have, as well as if there is any underlying conditions. Mm. So when you and your partner start actively trying, it is great to start thinking, don't think of falling pregnant this cycle, start to think of falling pregnant within the coming year. So I just use the word trying already. This, yeah. is, how, <laughs> this is how much it comes into life socially. I know. Yeah. And it's so it's just that automated, automatic response. It is automatic response, isn't it? So, But it is one of those things where I think it is an important note that we do raise is that thinking of when you are openly planning to conceive yeah. that you are considering of becoming pregnant within the year rather than seeing month to month and we see that that perspective really does take the pressure off women but and also their partners yeah I agree yeah mm. yeah and so Georgia what are the realistic chances of falling pregnant at each age okay so I've got a few statistics here. Mm -hmm. So in your 20s, there is a 20 to 25% chance of falling pregnant each month. Okay. Crazy, right? Pretty crazy, especially as we're told our whole way through our high school years that you sneeze and you fall pregnant. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you need to bear that in mind that there is a very little chance of falling pregnant each, each month. Each month. And that's when you're 
actively or openly, openly trying. trying. And also if you're a healthy woman or a healthy couple that you're a woman that ovulates regularly mm. as well. Yeah. So keeping that in mind. When women um, get to the age of 30, that reduces down to a 20% chance of falling pregnant each month. And by the age of 36, the chance of a woman conceiving each month has decreased by almost half from the time that she was her most fertile in her early 20s. By the age of 41, this chance falls to just 4%. Okay. So I think on that note... Yes. Let's talk about AMH levels. Yes. Yeah, okay. let's talk about AMH levels. So some of you may or may not know the term AMH. Yes. AMH is known as anti-malarian hormone, and we like to also call it the anxiety-making hormone. <laughs> it does often cause more anxiety than what it does good. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah. we definitely need to unpack this today. Yes. There is no medical testing that can be currently done to test your egg amount. Let's repeat that again. <laughs> there is no medical testing you can be you can actually do to test your egg amount. So Liz, what does it actually test then? Okay, so what it actually <laughs> tests is AMH is secreted by egg sacs, so the follicles, that have started the maturation process, of which one becomes a dominant follicle of a woman's cycle. Your ovarian reserve test cannot determine cannot determine the quality of a woman's eggs or her total egg count and causes unnecessary stress. So just on that, how many times do we see clinically that a GP will just run the AMH levels, which isn't anything on them. No. It's just that's the routine testing that has been known medically to test egg reserve levels or egg amount. Yeah. And it causes this unnecessary stress because it either comes back too low or too high. So um, it is important that AMH levels can also return at different levels and at different stages of your cycle. So that's also something to note. So if it does come back abnormal, then getting it tested at a different stage in your cycle can also make a difference. Definitely. Yeah, and they are impacted by coming off the oral contraceptive pill, being on the oral contraceptive pill, PCOS, so PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and stress and inflammation in the body. Yeah. So... Who is this test useful then for then? Okay, so there is a reason why this test can be used in a beneficial way. Um, for women who are considering IVF or other fertility treatment, as low levels of AMH could indicate a potentially poor response to IVF. So also a high level may indicate an exaggerated response to the IVF medication. So really good that you can use it as an indicator of how you would go with reproductive technology, although we would, again, like to bold and italic the next sentence, it is important to remember that women who have a low ovarian reserve and women who have a high ovarian reserve fall pregnant at the same exact rate if they are ovulating regularly. The reasons for this is that both groups ovulate one egg per month and AMH is not an indicator of egg quality. And we want to talk about egg quality not quantity because you just need one egg yeah you just need that one healthy egg yeah so you need that one healthy egg ovulating regularly yeah so if you do get your amh tested and checked make sure you read up on to the testing as well um so georgia yes what is the meaning of preconception care Okay, so coming down and talking about preconception care which we talk about a lot yeah um 
We describe preconception care as watering and nourishing the soil before we plant the seed. So not only do we want to achieve a positive pregnancy, but also a full-term birth with a healthy baby and mother. Yes. Preconception care is the three months prior to the period of time where a couple will be openly planning to conceive. Yes. It is about supporting both partners' mental and emotional well-being. So in terms of emotional care, you know, thinking about questions and topics that you've had and conversations that you've had with your partner. Have you and your partner spoken about the desire to have a baby? Have you begun making space for the baby in your life? For example, slowing down, healthy boundaries, learning to say no, getting enough sleep, being intimate with one another and connecting through sex for pleasure, reviewing your relationship with food. Are you feeling your body that you are, are you feeling the body that you are preparing to fuel another life? Also physical care. So the emphasis on the importance of this period of time is because it takes 100 days or three months for both a woman and a male to produce healthy egg and healthy sperm with positive diet and lifestyle changes. So preconception care involves a combination of changes in diet, lifestyle factors, including smoking, alcohol, obesity, movement, stress and sleep and can involve support from healthcare practitioners, including acupuncturists and Chinese medicine practitioners, nutritionists and dietitians, naturopaths, psychologists and counsellors, and ideally will include thorough testing from your GP of up-to-date blood tests, including hormones, iron levels, thyroid function, vitamin D, insulin and glucose, STI testing, and an up-to-date pap smear. Okay. So with all of that... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the fair bit to do in that three months. Isn't I know. It? And yeah. I think the best place to start is beginning to understand your cycle, right? Definitely. So Definitely. let's talk getting about to know your body. getting to know your body. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about a woman's cycle and the likelihood of conception each month. Okay. So there's a number of factors here with understanding a woman's cycle. And we just wanted to make a note with that. So learning about when is actually day one of your cycle. So day one of your cycle is your first day of your bleed. So we in Chinese medicine say it's the first day of the breakthrough bleed. Yes. So the first day that you would be using, say, for example, a tampon, a pad or a menstrual cup or using your um, menstrual undies. Yes. So um, with day one of the cycle, getting to know your cycle of how long is your cycle or when do you ovulate or how do you know that you're ovulating, learning to trust your body rather than using the algorithm on an app so rather than using the time where the app says, oh, there's a fertile window and there's a change in colour on the graph of the calendar, learning of what to look for for ovulation. So a normal menstrual cycle for a woman is anywhere between 26 and 35 days. Um, so therefore, each month a woman is usually ovulating anywhere between day 10 and day 21. So when you start to notice the changes with ovulation, whether that be a higher cervix or noticing um, the desire for sex and feeling really well in yourself. So say, for example, with confidence, um, feeling like you've got more energy. And in addition to that is um, noticing the cervical mucus changes as well. So roughly when you're ovulating, if you add 14, that is usually how long your luteal phase of the cycle will go. So we've spoken about that in different 
podcasts. So the yes. seasons of the menstrual cycle, say for example. So yeah. you can have a listen to one of those ones and that'll delve in a little bit deeper. But yeah. um, I think it's really important to note that an egg is only alive for 12 to 24 hours post ovulation and sperm can live in the body for a maximum of up to five days. So knowing when you're ovulating is imperative to having the chance of successful conception, especially depending on your age, but it really is ranging from 25 to roughly almost 4%. So, yeah. so, per month. so that would be five days of the entire month that the you could, month. the entire month that you could potentially fall pregnant. And yes. of those five days, there's only a 20% chance that you could fall. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that's why having that realistic perspective that it could take up to a year to yeah. conceive for a healthy couple is something to really keep in mind when yeah. having this discussion with your partner and considering how long will this take us. Yeah. So with that, um, so as we were saying, the research shows each month and I guess we need to talk about the fertile window and what that means. So I guess, yes, identifying that period of time and learning about your body and how it's telling you about ovulation and what other factors can also delay ovulation. So something like stress could also delay ovulation. And and we know that the period is a monthly report card. So that can be something to reflect on Um, by identifying the period of five days prior to ovulation and having sex every second day until two days post ovulation which we call a woman's fertile window, is going to support your chances of conceiving. Um, This means that there's an increased chance of both the healthy egg and healthy sperm to meet at the right time and say hello. So if we talk about sperm living in the body for up to five days and then we've got an understanding of the fertile window now, Yes. why shouldn't a couple have... Should a couple have sex every day? So... (laughs) If a couple would like to have sex every day, go for it. Yeah. But technically, from a conceiving side of things, it isn't necessary. Yeah. So ideally, every two to three days throughout the fertile window is enough. Um, sex should be timed around desire as well. And as we discuss in the clinic, sex should never be a chore. So, you know, it is from a place of intimacy and connecting with your partner. And yes, if you can consider the timing wise of around the fertile window, if we can have sex potentially a little bit more often, but at the end of the day, every two to three days does suffice. And that doesn't mean that you can't have sex for the rest of your cycle. Yes. Yeah. So connecting through sex at other stages of your cycle in addition to that fertile window is great for both of you for health. Yeah. Yes. I think that's great. So I guess the next topic. Um, So miscarriage um, and frequency and where women can get support. So when we talk about preconception care, we also need to talk about pregnancy and also miscarriages, noting that the frequency of miscarriage in early pregnancy occurs in one in, one in four couples. So unfortunately, if a woman miscarries prior to 12 weeks gestation, her and her partner are often left to grieve this event alone because of this social rule that we don't tell people that we are pregnant until the 12-week mark or to try and institute. So, Georgia, is this something we do need to change? Yeah, so often I feel as though more women need to confine in each other. As with these statistics, the likelihood of a close friend or family member to have also miscarried would be quite high. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And having that support around you is really important. Yeah, yeah. When we talk about 
miscarriage and there we will talk about the two bodies of thought but we also want to address that before one considers to try again after a miscarriage we have to bear in mind that if there is recurrent miscarriage which is three consecutive miscarriages we need to begin to address this and we do recommend seeking further investigation from a specialist and having that support. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And so what are these two bodies of thought? So clinically there is relevant evidence to show that there is an increased chance post miscarriage to begin planning to conceive without a break. Yes. Yeah. Yes. From a TCM perspective, and we talk about this, that the views, uh, we view that the physical and emotional strain on a woman's body of the pregnancy and recognises that time is needed for the body to heal, to become abundant in sources of chi and blood and calming the shen to prepare for the next pregnancy. Like we would do in the preconception phase. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we do support educated choice and recognise both bodies of thought, although encourage the following. What questions do we encourage? So number one um, is checking in emotionally of how you are feeling. So how are you feeling in your body as well as how are you feeling with regards to the miscarriage? Um, and is there any sense of feeling rushed to conceive again? Sometimes once we've clicked the switch on or switched the switch, <laughs> flicked is the word. <laughs> um, and once we've flicked the switch on that we really are ready for a baby, sometimes we don't get that time to grieve mm. the miscarriage that has occurred and we feel rushed about trying to conceive again. So just creating that space that you may or may not need, but creating the space that you have the time to process emotionally what's happened. Yeah. And number two is to consider the experience of miscarriage and respect that the body may need time to heal. So depending on the type of miscarriage that has occurred and how much the body does need time to heal so checking in how are you feeling physically so are you feeling as abundant with energy as you did prior to the miscarriage and if not then maybe your body does need more time to heal so that we can get to that preconception phase or stage where you feel abundant once more and if you feel that you are at a point where you're not coping with your miscarriage please seek further help from your GP, a psychologist or counsellor. And there's a great resource called The Pink Elephant and it's a website where you can seek support from um, other women who have gone through a miscarriage um, and also having a little look at their website as well. Definitely. definitely. Okay. So that was great. Um, We'll head on into part two next time and we'll start to delve into traditional Chinese medicine. Yes. And what also Georgia discussed at the start. So, yeah, we'll chat to you then. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Bye.